Hello once again, fight fans, and welcome to episode number 179 of TNC. We are back after a one-week hiatus, and this is TNC 179 for the week of Saturday, July 20th. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Guys, go ahead and punch that like button if you're watching live on YouTube right now. Give it the left hook to the body, a straight right. Make sure you hit that like button. And of course, uh, we got a loaded, loaded episode. So I'm going to fly through some of the news and notes. If you guys have questions, okay, hang on to the questions for now. When I get to the question section, I'll ask you then, and then you can start throwing them in. If you throw them in right now, I'm not going to see it. I got too much to get through. So hold back on your questions if you got something specific. And I'll tell you when I'm ready for that. You can start dropping them in the chat, okay? Uh, real quick, guys, of course, I told you to smash that like button. If you feel so inclined, we have Super Chat here on the YouTube channel right now. You guys can contribute through Super Chat. Your question will get bumped up. Uh, we do have a Patreon page. We also have T-shirts for sale. So if you guys are interested in any of that, you know what to do. Your fee for this week, your fee for episode 179 of TNC is to let me know do you want a Pacquiao-Thurman fight party? If you want to do a Pacquiao-Thurman uh, fight party, live commentary, the whole nine, we can do that. I'll be around. So let me know if that is good to, to go. And uh, again, for those of you who are just joining on, um, I've been uh, doing interviews all day uh, for a piece that I'm working on right now for Ring. Um, the last latest episode of Ring Magazine just came out, and my piece uh, on Jamel Herring is in there. That, so that's out. But I'm doing a piece on Caleb Plant. Who fights this weekend? And I got to get that piece out to Doug Fisher, the editor, by Wednesday. So I've been on the phone all day. There's been a lot of news. My throat's already sore, and I got this whole episode to go through. So hopefully my voice holds up. But let's go ahead and jump right into news and notes. And look, there is no bigger story right now than the passing of Pernell Whitaker, one of the all-time greats, pound for pound, ever. He was uh, the pound-for-pound pound king in the sport for much of the 90s. And the legitimate lightweight champion held titles in four different weight classes, was robbed against Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. as a welterweight. People forget, though, man, the amateur degree or amateur pedigree this guy had. Over 200 amateur wins, 1984 gold in Los Angeles, here in the United States at the LA Games in 84 as a lightweight. Fighter of the Year, 1989, by Ring Magazine. So just a special, special fighter. Apparently, uh, he was hit by a car trying to cross the street late Sunday night, and he, he died due to his injuries that he suffered there uh, as a result of that accident. And he is dead at 55. Very, very young. Had so much life ahead of him. Still uh, such a, just a warm, nice Wonderful human being, went to so many different functions. So not just fights, but just functions, whether it be um, uh, commission functions, um, the Hall of Fame, obviously, he's been a Hall of Famer for a while now, uh, just all sorts of stuff. And he was always great with the fans. He'd sit and talk to people, take pictures. I saw so many posts from you guys today on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever it was. And you guys were posting your photos with Purnell. That's the kind of man he was. He would stop and take photos with everybody. And, you know, it just said so much. Just seeing all the, f <clears throat> the photos you guys were posting, you with him, 
And, and, you know, long after he's retired, everywhere he went, people just wanted to be around him and take a picture and, and talk boxing with him. And he, he took the time to do that always. So just a wonderful man. And um, he is survived by, I believe, five kids. He has five kids and um, you know, millions of fans and admirers around the world. So rest in peace to Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker, one of the true all-time greats. I have him right up there with Willie Pep as the two best defensive fighters ever. The biggest difference between them is that Willie Pep, he would use uh, almost ballet-like movement, right? He'd move. He'd move a lot with his defensive uh, fighting. Purnell would stay right there in the pocket with you. He'd stand right in front of you and make you miss and make you look like a fool and then touch you back. That was the genius of how Purnell did it. So whereas Guglielmo Papaleo or Willie Pep, he kind of almost looked like a, a ballerina. What's, what's a male ballerina? Is, is it ballerina, whether it's male or female? I don't know. I don't know shit about ballet. But he was like a male ballerina, the way he almost danced around the ring. There was this rhythmic dance he did. Beautiful stuff, but he used a lot of movement defensively. Purnell could stand right in front of you and make you miss and make you look stupid. So um, anyway, I still... He got robbed against Whitaker. He got robbed against Chavez. I, I think that that was just an atrocity. But everyone knows he won that fight, and a lot of people talk about Chavez as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And at that time, when they fought, they were basically number one and number two pound for pound. And no matter what they, you know, the scorecards were two. I think two. Uh, Two of the judges had it a draw. I can't remember the exact scores off the top of my head, but it goes down as a draw. Everybody knew that Whitaker won. He was the premier fighter pound for pound of that era, of that generation. Truly, truly was. So uh, again, rest in peace to him. Now, a couple of other quick news hits, and then we're going to go right into the review because we had a ton of boxing last weekend. Kovalev Yard. Sergey Kovalev, Anthony Yard, his mandatory for, I think it's the WBO light heavyweight title. That fight is finally confirmed for August 24th in Chelyabinsk, Russia. Now, apparently Golden Boy and Canelo's people are still trying to negotiate with Kovalev. He balked at their first offer, which was rumored to be about $6 million, which would have been a career-high payday. But you guys got to understand, Sergey got dicked over by the system already once. He went up against the system in Vegas, and he got screwed by a fighter that had a, not even a quarter of the profile that Canelo has. So before he signs on for that again, he's going to get paid this time, okay? He saw what happened to Golovkin. He's been through it with Andre Ward. So they said, no, we want eight figures. And for Golden Boy, at some point, I don't know, I guess they haven't put up enough money yet to where it looks like Kovalev Yard is going to move forward in Sergey's uh, hometown. Last fight in his hometown didn't look great. I think he'll look better this time around. But, uh, but if you're Kovalev and you beat Yard and you defend that title, right, you can start renegotiating with Canelo afterwards. And maybe at that point you can demand more money. Maybe after we get that third Canelo Golovkin fight in September, which I've felt is going to happen eventually anyway. But guys, remember, you always get all these. Anytime anyone's negotiating, anytime, you're going to get articles about it. You're going to get tweets about it. 
YouTube videos about it and people speculate for hours and hours. They make these hour-long videos speculating about fights that never fucking happen because it's just negotiations. It doesn't mean shit. And a lot of promoters and fighters and their teams have gotten very, very good at using media, quote unquote, to help them negotiate and get bargaining chips and bargaining power with situations like this. Right now, Canelo really doesn't want to do business with Golovkin. But guess what? zone cuts his check. So unless it's going to be a massive check to Kovalev and a step-aside fee to Yard, we're probably still going to get Canelo Golovkin this September. So all the hours and hours of speculation and all this stuff for the last however many weeks and months, it's probably going to be all for not. Now, now again, I'm not saying for certain we're going to get Canelo Golovkin 3 in September. I'm saying it's still the most probable thing. All right. One other thing regarding Canelo, he wins SB Fighter of the Year. Now, do I really give a shit about the SBs? Do I really give a shit about ESPN outside of their boxing programming and their 30 for 30s? Nope, don't really give a flying fuck. But some people took offense to this because A, Canelo got busted for having clombuterol in the system last year and got suspended. B, a lot of people feel he did not beat Golovkin in that second fight. Some people do. Many people feel it was a draw. Pretty much everyone agrees, though, he looked much better in that second fight while doing VADA testing, true Olympic-style testing. So that was impressive. But if you had a guy that got popped for a banned substance from not one but two samples taken, gets suspended for six months, and then fights once, highly controversial decision win against Gennady Golovkin. Is that enough for fighter of the year? Guys, the ESPYs and pretty much everything ESPN does is a popularity contest. Remember, Ronda Rousey won Fighter of the Year one year. We all saw how that turned out for her. I think it will turn out much better for Canelo. Okay, that's it for news and notes. We're going to get right into the review, guys. And I'm going to fly through some of these, and then some of these will take some time. And then we'll get to some questions, okay? Saturday, July 6th in Kazakhstan, uh, ESPN Plus picked up a card from over there from Astana, Kazakhstan. And Nordin Ubali, the uh, two-time Olympian from France, defends his WBC Bantamweight title with a six-round stoppage of Arthur Villanueva, who he dropped in the sixth round, and he retired, I think, in the corner. So he improves to 16-0 and continues to be one of the better Bantamweights in the world, a guy to keep an eye on. That was pretty much it for the weekend of the July 4th holiday because it's a holiday weekend, right? There's not a whole lot going on. But the boxing world made up for it the following weekend. We had a ton of fights on Friday and Saturday. Friday, July 12th in Liverpool, England. Another card picked up by ESPN Plus uh, that saw Martin Murray and Terry Flanagan score wins. So those guys uh, staying busy in the win column. And Amir Khan, an old 32. Does Amir Khan seem 32 to you? He seems older than that to me. He's only 32. Scores a TKO4 win over Billy Dibb, another guy. He's only 33. He looks a lot older than 33. Anyway, um, this was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And Huey Fury scores a TKO7 win over Sam Peter. Sam Peter uh, had a, apparently had a shoulder injury. He has now lost five of his last nine going back to 2010. I have no idea why the hell he's fighting. In Tacoma, Washington, a showbox card. In the main event, 
I thought we got a shitty decision. I thought we got a robbery here. I really, really do. Jermaine Franklin, heavyweight out of Michigan, a guy that I really wanted to take a look at. You guys know I like heavyweights? You guys know I'm originally from Michigan. So I wanted to take a look at this guy, and I've watched him fight a few times now. Officially wins this fight by split decision against Jerry Forrest, improves to 19-0. Scores were 97-93 twice. Those were god-awful scores. Just terrible, terrible scores. One judge scored a fight right. He scored at 96-95 for Forrest. Franklin just doesn't look like anybody that excites me. We saw several other heavyweight prospects last weekend, right? Of course, I'll talk about it. All of them looked better than Franklin. He's undersized. He really telegraphs his punches. He winds up, I don't know how he did so well in the amateurs, because I think he won the Golden Gloves. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, man, all you got to do, like, if I were, I'm not going to say if I were sparring him, because if I were training a fighter who was sparring him, I would say, watch this dude's right shoulder. Because every time he throws a right hand, it comes, the shoulder moves first. The shoulder moves, then the, then the hand. So he telegraphs everything he does. He also bunches up his work. He doesn't fight at range. He smothers his work. A lot of his punches land with a bent elbow. I just don't see anything in this guy. I really, really don't. And he's a, I don't know if he's a knockout waiting to happen. He might have a good chin. It's held up so far. But what happens when he steps up to a guy in the top 20 or something? I mean, at some point, this dude's going to get, I don't, I don't want to use the word exposed because he may be exposed in this fight. But he's going to get beat. I just, I don't see a world beater here. Uh, but, you know, look, we've seen stranger things in boxing. Maybe he can learn from this. Maybe he can grow from it. But something needs to change. Something needs to change. He needs to, whole new camp, whole new team, teaching this guy how to box. Because what I'm seeing from him, it's just very amateurish. I'm not seeing any growth. And as he moves up the ratings, someone's just going to stomp his ass. Also on this card, uh, let's see, Vito Melnicki Jr., 130-pounder, approved to 17-0. and 0. But the big, big card Friday was in Osaka, Japan. This was picked up by ESPN+. Plus. It aired early in the morning here in the United States because it was live from Osaka. Ryota Murata turns the tables on Rob Brandt, scores a TKO2 win, dominant in this fight. Started way sooner because he started so late in that first fight with Brandt, and he's done that in a lot of fights. Reclaims his WBA regular, whatever the hell that means, middleweight title, and uh, really just a great performance from Murata. Brandt just looked like he, he didn't know what hit him, just could not respond, got buzzed. I think it was a right hand over the top that buzzed uh, Brandt, and he never recovered. He, he didn't know how to hold. He didn't... I don't know, take a knee, something. He just could not recover. Took a beating in that second round. And finally, just at the very, very end of it, the ref saw it, uh, thought he had enough, waved it off. That was it. Great performance from Murata, who is very, very limited, but also can be exciting and brings a lot of financial power behind him because of his fanfare over in Japan. He's a star over there. And also on this card, Ken Shiro, TKO4 win over Jonathan Taconing, sixth defense of his WBC junior flyweight title. So the Japanese fighters did very well on that card from Osaka. Now, Saturday, July 13th, we had, 
man, we had four different cards to cover here. Let me start with um, the top-ranked car on ESPN from Newark, New Jersey, headlined by Shakur Stevenson, who improved to 12-0 with a KO3 win over last-second replacement Alberto Guevara from Mexico. Eight days' notice this guy came on. So what do you expect? I mean, Stevenson did what you're supposed to do, but did this make him move up in the ratings at all? In my mind, no. Did this prepare him at all for any of the titleists? No. Who are the four titleists right now at, at uh, 126? You got Warrington. You got uh, Russell. Who Russell would smoke him. You got um, Santa Cruz would beat him. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Valdez. I think all four of those guys beat Stevenson right now. He's nowhere near ready for that, but he's ready to start looking at the top 10 guys and fight a top 10 guy that's got some power. He's yet to face an opponent with a really strong offense. So he had some Bambi legs, what I call Bambi legs when he first started. Looked really unsteady on his legs. He's gotten his legs under him. He's grown into his man strength a little bit, right? So he's ready. He's ready to start fighting contenders. I thought the one win that he had prior to this against Diaz was a good win. But this, there was nothing to this. It was just him getting some work in. Uh, knocked him down the second and third rounds, and he continues to be uh, one of the better prospects in the featherweight division. Also, uh, Joshua Greer, a bantamweight out of Chicago, scores a majority decision over Russian New Yorker Nikolai Potapov in a 12-round IBF eliminator. This was for the number two spot at bantamweight in the IBF. So uh, ESPN commentator Andre Ward edged it for Potapov. Many in the crowd booed the decision. It seems that they were 50-50 on it. I thought it was a close fight and could have went either way. Also on this card, Indian, three-time Indian Olympian, Vinder Singh. I always mess his name up. With a TKO four win and the pro debut for Vito Melnicki. Oh, this is where I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this on the wrong notes. Vito Melnicki Jr., White Magic, they call him. <laughs> white Magic. Sold thousands of tickets to his uh, pro debut. Interesting. Thousands of tickets he sold to his pro debut. I don't like the nickname. White Magic, really? Do you, did you have to go there? I don't like the nickname. Anyway, uh, let's stay in the United States. Let's go to Minneapolis. PBC on FS1. Jamal James improves to 26-1 and with a unanimous decision victory in 10 rounds over Antonio DeMarco. I, the thing I always will remember with Antonio DeMarco, his bloody slugfest with Jorge Linares that he had back at Staples Center in 2011. Uh, I think that was on the undercard of the Hopkins-Dawson fight. It was one of the first bigger events that I covered. As, uh, as I was kind of learning the ropes a little bit in boxing media way back in 2011. I didn't know what the hell I was doing yet, but I just re- I was not expecting that fight. I was expecting it to be good, but DeMarco Linares was an amazing fight. And um, yeah, I just, I'll, I'll always associate that memory with Antonio DeMarco because it was such an amazing event. Anyway, Jamal James wins by the scores of 98-92 three times. And uh, yeah, pretty good scores. I, I thought James won the fight. Maybe he was a little too wide. Maybe he was a little closer, but the right man won. Also on this uh, card, Gerald Washington scores a KO8 win over Robert Hellenius. At the time of the stoppage, it was a close fight. Uh, let's see. Uh, one judge had it 67-66 for Gerald. Two judges had it 67-66 for Hellenius. So 
Fight was up for grabs. Um, but Jared Washington, good solid win for him. He's had a rough run as of recently. But man, early 2010s, Hellenius was seen as an interesting heavyweight prospect. A lot of people were interested in him. Boy, did the wheels fall off that real quick. He, he was out of the ring for two years. I think there were injuries and things going on. Extremely consistent, inconsistent since his return in 2015. But let's pause real quick. We have a super chat from Southside Tone. Thank you very much, Southside. I appreciate it. And he just says, RIP Sweet P. Whitaker. My fam was just with him. Indeed, Southside, RIP to Mr. Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker, one of the all-time greats. Uh, just really, really sad news today with that, man. Again, the man had decades of life in front of him. He has children. There are going to be grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. And he was robbed of that because some idiot driving on the road hit him. Apparently, that situation is still under investigation. We'll see what happens. Carson, California. Golden Boy Promotions card on the zone. Ray Vargas scores a unanimous decision win over Tomoki Kameda. Fifth defense of his WBC uh, Super Bantamweight title. Scores were 117-110 three times. Fight pretty much went the way I thought it would. Um, look, Vargas is just a better fighter than Kameda. He's just taller, longer, more skilled. Kameda basically has one speed. He does the same thing over and over and over. That could be timed by a superior boxer. And that's what Vargas did. This fight, maybe we were expecting a little more fireworks, you know, a little more excitement in Vargas. Uh, the Mexican fans, some of the fans there at Dignity Health Sports Center or whatever the hell they call it now, uh, were booing, booing his performance. But, you know, I, I don't understand that. Not every fight has to be a bloody war. And the guy went in there and scored uh, a, a clear, decisive victory. I thought that uh, it was a good performance from him. Also, a couple of upsets on this card, man. Ronnie Rios, 29 years old, scores a KO6 win over 24-year-old Diego De La Hoya in a junior featherweight fight. Knocked him down in the sixth. De La Hoya could not get up. Just it looked like he, he wanted to, but maybe didn't want to. I, I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was pretty damn shocking. For Rios, he had come into this fight, or there was, a, there was a period of time, I think from like 2017 through 2018, where he lost two of three fights, right? And his career was really in this kind of, um, I don't know, crossroads, really at a crossroads. This was a great rebound win for him and puts him right back in the spotlight. He's now set up maybe for a title shot. Who knows what he gets out of this? He's definitely going to get another uh, opportunity, opportunity on a, on a major card. So uh, this was a big win for him. Uh, for Diego, man, he beat Ron, Randy Caballero in 2017. And I want to say that was, I think, on the undercard of the first Canelo-Golovkin fight. But maybe, I can't remember which undercard it was on, but it was a major Vegas undercard. And I was there. I covered that one. I picked De La Hoya to beat Caballero. And I just thought at that point, okay, this is going to be the start of his trajectory into titles and things like that, um, or at least title shots. And his career just kind of fell apart after that. It just collapsed. He's had issues making weight. There's rumors that he's you know inconsistent in the gym with his diet. I don't believe he has a strength and conditioning coach, a nutrition, nutritionist, whatever the hell they call it doesn't have those people around maybe he needs them guys 
there are more and more fighters getting nutrition people around them to help them with their diets and have a strength and conditioning coach around them. And it's working. They're making weight. Jamel Herring fought his entire career basically at 135 because PBC wouldn't let him fight at 130 because they were protecting certain fighters there back when he was with PBC. Top rank said, okay, we'll let you fight at 130. Dude is in his 30s. He lost five pounds and now fights at 130 and that's his proper weight. That's hard for a fighter to go down in weight in their 30s, but he's using the same strength and conditioning people, nutrition people that Terrence Crawford uses. This shit matters. And for Diego De La Hoya, you know, maybe they need to get him with those sorts of people. Maybe they already have. I can't remember. Maybe he needs to move up in weight. I don't know what it is. But, uh, man, I, I don't know, man. The brakes really fell off that real fast. Also, another upset on this card. Eduardo Hernandez came into this fight. Uh, 28-0, Mexican fighter who came into this fight as the A-side. was fighting Roger Gutierrez out of Venezuela who had fought in America three times prior and lost all three times he fought in America. And what happens? Gutierrez scores a KO1 win, a devastating first-round KO win, catches Hernandez cold. Hernandez just did not look warmed up, was not fighting very smart, was diving in, and he got caught, and that was it. And that 28-0, poof, that bubble just burst. And that's why you can never take an opponent lightly. And these guys coming from countries like Venezuela, sometimes they're from Colombia. You see these guys from Japan. You don't quite know what to expect sometimes. And again, as I say, man, Gutierrez, he had fought in America three times before, had been used as a quote-unquote opponent, and he lost all three of those fights. He came in this one, guns blazing, and Hernandez, I guess, took him lightly. Stupid mistake. I think he could rebound from it, but boy... Did that derail, not that there was a huge hype train around Hernandez, but he was seen as a prospect that a lot of people had their eyes on. And this blows that up. Now let's go over to London, where we had a card picked up on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Liam Wilson, Liam, Jesus, Liam Williams scored an impressive TKO 2 win at middleweight, looked rejuvenated at middleweight. I think he had those fights with Liam Smith at 154. Looks better at 160. He should probably stay there. Also in the co-main, Joe Joyce improves to 10-0 with the unanimous decision win over Bryant Jennings. Some people did not like that decision. Now, let me talk about this fight for a second before we get to the main event. I thought Joe Joyce beat Bryant Jennings. I was cool with the win. However, I was not cool with referee Steve Gray. I thought he sucked. He took a point from Jennings for hitting low. Even though, yeah, Jennings has long arms. He reaches down. He was doing some Andre Ward ball punching. The way he was doing it was very reminiscent of how Ward would do it. But Joyce was pushing him down and mauling. And plus, Joyce was slamming him in the head with his shoulder and also using his shoulder to move him into position to punch him on the break. Steve Gray warned him about that about 400 times, never took a point from Joyce, and then it just goes up and takes a point from Jennings for a low blow. Really, really bad look. It really had no bearing on the decision. I, the 115-112 score, that's essentially seven rounds to five for Joyce. I thought that was a good score. Cool with that. It's the other scores. 117-110, I believe that's nine rounds to three. And 118-109, that's 10 rounds to two. That is not the fight that took place, okay? 
I thought, again, I thought Joyce clearly won. You could have an 8-4 for Joyce. You could have a 7-5. I thought he was the winner. He just did the better, more consistent work. I, you know, maybe 9-3, maybe. But you're, you're giving every swing round to Joyce. But for this one judge to give him 10 rounds, Jesus, that's a bad scorecard. On top of the shitty refing from Steve Gray. Joe Joyce is what he is. Slow, plodding, uh, telegraphs everything. But he's so heavy-handed. He's so big and strong. And so far, his chin has held up and his stamina has held up. He throws a lot of punches from a lot of angles for a heavyweight. He's very loose and relaxed in the ring. For such a slow guy, usually guys are slow because they're so tight. Their muscles are so tight. He's slow, but he's very loose. And I did a video, a a post-fight reaction video for the uh, Dubois-Gorman fight. And I talked about Joe Joyce a little bit in that video. If you guys haven't seen it yet, go watch it. But um, there's some things Joyce does well. Now, do I see a future champ? No. But he's going to go as long as his chin will take him. I was talking to a few of you guys on Twitter after the fight Saturday. And a lot of you out there were saying, Brazil is better than Joyce. I vehemently disagree. If Joe Joyce fought Dominic Brazil right now, I think Joyce would knock Brazil out. He'd take a lot of punches, but he'd eventually wear down Brazil and stop him. I think he's better, he's, he's better than a guy like Brazil already. But one or two more fights and then throw him in there for a title. He's, he's not going to get much better. He is who he is. He will go as far as his chin will take him. If his chin holds up, Who knows what could happen? It's the heavyweights, guys. You never know. But yeah, I'm not that high on Joyce. But I do think he is better than some people make him out to be. Some people think he's awful. I rate Joe Joyce higher than Huey Fury. A lot of people are higher on someone like Huey Fury or, you know, someone like that. Who's the kid out of New Zealand? I can't think of his name. Um, Junior Fa. No, I think Joe Joyce is better than those guys. I, I really do. In the main event, Daniel Dubois improved to 12-0 with a KO5 win over Nathan Gorman, wins the vacant British heavyweight title, drops him in the third and fifth, and I did a detailed uh, review of that fight. Again, guys, go watch that video. And I talked about some of the flaws I see from Dubois, but there are a lot of things I like about what he does. And um, I, I think he probably has more tools than Anthony Joshua. He definitely has better, uh, more fluidity, and um, seems to have more of a natural fighting instinct. There are a few times where um, Gorman rushed him and really bowled at him with a lot of hard punches, and Dubois responded pretty well. Now, would he respond as well if it were Deontay Wilder coming at him swinging like that? Probably not. He's got to cover up and get better with his defense and everything, but there seems to be a natural fighter instinct there. There's that fight or flight thing, right? And uh, AJ, you know, against Ruiz, he showed a little flight. And there were times against Klitschko, he showed flight. And Dubois, I saw some real fight response. Now, he was fighting Nathan Gorman. Not a top 10 heavyweight, maybe not even a top 20 heavyweight. But another fellow undefeated prospect, right? And this was the biggest fight of his career to date. And I thought Dubois passed that test with flying colors. Azier says Dubois is very promising, only 22. Exactly. He's going to be, he's not even 22 yet. He's going to be 22 in September, I believe. So no rush. If I'm Frank Warren, I'm keeping Dubois busy against guys that are going to give him rounds. 
and different styles. No need to rush right now. Right, you know the situation at heavyweight. There's three, well now four kings. Everything's split up, right? You don't know what's going on with, with uh, Fury and Wilder. They're supposed to rematch early next year. If, if Fury wins that rematch, no doubt there's going to be a rubber match, right? You don't know what's going on with AJ and Ruiz. They're going to do a rematch. Same thing. If AJ wins the rematch, do we get a rubber match there? You just don't know. So while they're figuring all that shit out, if you're Dubois and Warren, just stay busy and keep building it up, right? That's it. All right, guys, get in questions now. Let's hear some questions. So we got through the fight review. That was a lot. We have a lot to preview this week. Let's take a break here and let's get to some of your questions, man. So go ahead and throw them in there, guys, in the chat, and I'll get to them. Hopefully you guys had some and you copied and pasted. David Hinn says Dubois versus Yoka. Good match. I agree. And, you know, look, I haven't talked that much about Yoka. I, I will, okay? I, I will. Um, I, I, I'm... I'm pretty high on him too, okay? They're not ready to fight each other yet. I think that's a fight that could be built up for a little while. The fight I'd like to see before that is Dubois and Joyce. Do I want to see that next? No. I want to see that built a little bit too. But maybe, maybe early next year we see Dubois and Joyce. Maybe by the end of next year, something like that, that's when we see Dubois. I think Dubois beats Joyce. We see Dubois and Yoka, something like that. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, let's see. Yoke Pushkin. Especially after Klitschko. Watch him under Tony Sims. Dubois is not near the fighter AJ was at the same time in their careers. Yeah, but Yoke, you're, AJ was older when he went pro. He was more mature as a man and as an athlete. Dubois is a kid, man. He, he, he literally is 21 years old. How old was AJ when he went pro, right? Because he's in his late 20s right now. Um, I, you know, 12 fights in, he's beat a couple of pretty good fighters, a couple of pretty good veterans and looked pretty good doing it. I don't necessarily think AJ has regressed. I think that AJ was pushed too fast. I don't think he was ready for the Klitschko fight. Look, a prime Vladimir Klitschko destroys that version of AJ. Flat out, guys, the right hand that Klitschko knocked AJ down with, I think it was in the fifth round, landed on the top of the head. That was a 40-something-year-old, rusty, coming off a long layoff, coming off a loss, Vladimir Klitschko. Lands on the top of the head. Klitschko, five years before that, lands that punch on the tip of the chin, and AJ doesn't get up. Period. End of story. Okay? AJ was rushed. I understand that they had an opportunity to fight Charles Martin for that title. And they jumped at the opportunity. They overpaid Martin for that title. They knew they were basically buying that title off of Martin. But then he had a title. And then AJ, you can't just fight anybody. You got to fight top guys. He's fighting top guys in like, you got to be ready. Is, is he ready for, I don't know, man. Look, I, I think Joshua probably beats Ruiz in the rematch because he'll be fully prepared, a full eight-week camp preparing for Ruiz. But I don't know if it's fair to say that, um, that he's way further ahead or was way further ahead at this point in his career than Dubois is right now. I'm not so sure about that. Captain Hook Chronicle says, can't wait till you give us an analysis of a great quitter, Divachenko. 
Yeah, that's right. Yoka fought Dimitrenko this weekend, right? I totally forgot about it. Was it this weekend? When was it? Let me know, Captain Hook Chronicles, because, uh, look, Dimitrenko, why is he still fighting? Fighting him at this point, if you're a prospect, really doesn't prove much. It's kind of like sparring. Ozzy asked, who do I pick in Pack versus Thurman? Well, I'll get to a, a more detailed breakdown in a few minutes, but I like Thurman by decision. And I know a lot of people are picking Pacquiao. The Vegas odds have shifted. A lot of that money is coming in from the East uh, for, for Pacquiao. I just, look, guys, I'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, Thurman by decision. Captain of Chronicle says, for Yoka, do you know they tried to build up a fight with Duapas for December, adding some beef about a 2015 sparring? No, I don't know anything about that. But, you know, if he wants to fight Duapas right now, that's a fine fight for him. And I think that, you know, they're both French, right? So that would work. I think, uh, yeah, why not use that? Chuckhook93 says, Thurman says he barely trained for the Lopez fight. Do you know the reason for that? Also, as a second fight back, can he pull it off against Pac-Man? Yeah, so Thurman didn't train very hard for the Lopez fight. He was working out at LA Fitness, which that's where I work out. You know, like, um, this is where a lot of you guys work out. Is that where a professional trainer should be working out? Probably, or professional boxer? No. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what was going on with him, man. I, look, he knows he's fighting Manny Pacquiao. He's going to take this fight differently. I don't think he took Lopez very uh, very highly. You know, he took him lightly. So it's going to be different this time around. And look, people are forgetting about their ages, man. I, don't, I know Thurman hasn't been very active and everything. He also hasn't taken a lot of punishment. Pacquiao has. He's taken a ton of punishment. And Pacquiao's been more active recently, but he's in his 40s. Thurman's, I think, over 10 years younger. He's a naturally bigger, stronger guy. I just think youth's going to have its way. Michael Mendiola says Molina versus Lipinets this Saturday is going to be a barn burner. Hell yeah, it is. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Brad DW54 asks Teofimo versus Hain. Hain? Which do you think has the better shot to beat Loma? I, I think you meant to say Haney. I think you have a typo there. Teofimo versus Devin Haney. Uh, right now, I'd pick Teofimo Lopez to beat Devin Haney. Which one has a better shot to beat Lomachenko? Styles make fights, you know? Uh, that's a better question, and maybe we'd have to see... Um, maybe Teofimo does, but we'd have to see a little more out of both of them. Michael Stott asks, should boxers with 10 to 20-plus losses be forced to retire? No, not necessarily. Those guys, you know, if they pass medical clearance, look, if you lose 28 decisions, I know some fighters that have records of 10 and 40, but they've never been knocked out. They've never been dropped. And most of their fights are four rounders. So now that depends. So Captain Hill Chronicles is telling me that uh, Yoka and Dimitrenko fought last Saturday. I thought so. And Yoka KO Dimitrenko with a phantom punch. That's not the first time that's happened to Dimitrenko. So, yeah, I don't know how the guy gets sanctioned to fight anymore. There was, a, there was a point where if you were a prospect and you beat Dimitrenko, it meant something. It meant, okay, you're ready to move up the, the ladder now. He's not that guy no more. 
He's a big body that takes punches and then finds a way out. Period. Ken Henning asks, Vojdik or Beterbiev? So apparently, Alexander Vojdik and Artur Beterbiev, a fight is being discussed right now by top rank to uh, f- have those guys unify their titles late this year. Nothing's official yet, okay? Nothing's official. But early on, I favor the nail. He's been more active. He's the more accurate puncher. He's more consistent with his uh, fighting, uh, just the way he, he fights and his style. So early on, I favor him. I'd have to think more about it. I want to wait till it's official, though, okay? Let's see. Don Flamenco asks, uh, will you be bringing back TNC as it was? What do you mean by that? Uh, how was TNC's had a million formats as I've uh, tried to improve the show? Let me know what you got to give me specifics, Don. With TNC, what I want to do is I want to break it up into a review show Monday and a preview show Thursday. That is coming in August. Okay, so that's we're going to start doing two shows a week. JM Superstar asks. Can you give a shout out to my three-week-old daughter, Freya, who is with me watching her first TNC? What's up, Freya? I hope I'm saying that right. Thank you for watching. I know you can't understand a damn word I'm saying, but how awesome is that? Your dad's getting you into boxing while you're still in diapers. That's the way it's supposed to be. You guys are awesome. All right. Oh, DS Kennels just dropped in. He says, I'm late, but I made it, Mike. Oh, glad you're here, bro. Tommy Boseo. He's on. He says, uh, Mike, when are you going to do another Ask Me Anything video again? Uh, hmm. Maybe I'll do that soon, brother. Maybe I'll do that in the next few weeks. If you guys would like to see another Ask Me Anything, let me know. We can do that. Uh, hold on the questions for a couple. Well, I'll, I'll do one more question before. Uh, let's see. John Uden asked, do you think Brandt gets a rubber match against Murata? I don't think so. I really don't think so. It was such a dominating performance by Murata. And I've had a few of you guys ask me this. What's next for him? Man, he's in the running for a fight with Triple G, Canelo, somebody like that. And I know he fights on ESPN, right? But look, Top Rank is doing that fight with Maurice Hooker and, uh, and Jose Ramirez. So they're going across the aisle there on the zone. So it's very, very possible that Murata fights on the zone or uh, against either Golovkin or Canelo, depending on how all that shakes up. He, they want to go for the money there now that they got that title back. I think that's what's next for him before we see a rubber match with Brandt. All right, guys, so hold off on questions. We'll do one more uh, Q&A session at the very end. I want to get into this preview because we have a ton of freaking fights coming up. Thursday, this Thursday, July 18th, Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions has a card that will be uh, streamed live on ringtv.com. Jason Quigley. Irish middleweight, 16-0, headlining against Toriano Johnson. This is shit or get off the time, or shit or get off the pot time for Jason Quigley. He's kind of been hanging around. Uh, his career has kind of slowed down the last couple of years. This is the best opponent he's ever fought. You got to show us something here. or Like, are you a contender or are you a pretender? You got to show us something here. Shit or get off the pot time for Jason Quigley. Friday, July 19th, there's a Telemundo card from Mexico City. That's going to be on. Also, MGM National Harbor, Maryland, top rank on ESPN. Tiafimo Lopez, 13-0, going up against Masayoshi Nakatani, 18-0. His first fight outside of Japan, Nakatakis. So again, what did I talk about earlier? Roger Gutierrez upsets Eduardo Hernandez last 
weekend, right? What do we have here this weekend? We have a Japanese guy, undefeated, fought nobody, nobody, but this is his first fight outside of Japan. Teofimo Lopez should not be taking this guy lightly, okay? Needs to pretend like he's fighting the champ here. Let's see what happens. 12 rounds, IBF lightweight eliminator. Winner of this fight gets Komei next. Winner of that fight gets Lomachenko, the king, early next year around the Super Bowl. That's what Grandpa Bob wants to do over at top rank. Also on this card, Maxim Dadashev going up against Subriel Matias, a 13-0 fighter out of Puerto Rico. Of course, Dadashev, originally out of Russia, now uh, lives and trains out of California. This is an IBF junior welterweight eliminator. And you know what? Dadashev, he's ready. I think he's going to win this fight. He's going to win it big, and he's ready for that title shot. Saturday, July 20th, two big cards. Let's start with ESPN Plus uh, card from Brentwood, England. And of course, uh, oh no, there's an ESPN card from Brentwood, England that we picked up here. But the big card from the UK Saturday, picked up by The Zone here, and Sky Box Office will be showing it over there. In the main event, Dillian White going up against Oscar Rivas. I like this matchup. I like Dillian White. I'm a fan of Dillian White. I think he's truly proven himself as one of the top heavyweights in the world. Definitely top 10. He might be a top five heavyweight. Seriously. 25 and 1. His only loss was to AJ. He's vastly improved. Guys, the first, or the only fight between Dillian White and Anthony Joshua, who's improved more since that fight? Answer me that question. I think Dillian White's improved more. I really, really do. Best left hook in the heavyweight division right now. Name me a better left hook in the, better he- in the heavyweight division right now than Dillian White. Going up against Oscar Rivas, who is only six feet tall. He's really like 5'10", 5'11". They list him as six feet. Dillian White's a legit 6'4", 78-inch reach. I think he has too much size for the Colombian-Canadian. This is a WBC heavyweight eliminator. And that shit makes me laugh my ass off. Because Dillian White has been the WBC mandatory for 472 years. Once again, he's fighting in a WBC heavyweight eliminator. What the fuck? Is he going to get a shot at Deontay Wilder if he wins this fight? Probably not. That's what you know, the WBC loves jerking this guy around. We'll see. I guess maybe will he end up getting the WBC silver or diamond or dog shit title as a result of this down the line? Maybe. Also on this card, Derek Chisora versus Arthur Spilka. There will be blood in that fight. Probably blood from both men. It can be really sloppy and look like two drunk bouncers beating the shit out of each other at a bar. Or it could be a hell of a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. David Allen coming off his win over Lucas Brown, going up against David Price, coming off against Kash Ali. Remember when Kash Ali tried to bite his nipple off? These two are fighting. That's another heavyweight fight that could look like utter dog shit, or it could be a lot of fun. I like the heavyweights. I think it's going to be fun. I think both of these uh, other heavyweight fights before the main event are going to be fun, man. I hope so. I hope it's not a beer gut, titty slap, <laughs> uh, back fat hug fest. I hope it's action. I think that's what we'll get. Also on this card, 12-0 cruiserweight prospect Lawrence Oakley 
Good-looking prospect. Going up against TBA, Tom Bob Anderson, to be announced. Uh, for 12 rounds, this is for his British and Commonwealth Cruiserweight titles. Now, if these are technically title fights, you'd hope you'd have a damn opponent by now. But it's TBA. And then the big card this Saturday in Las Vegas, PBC on Fox pay-per-view. There's also a, a, a fight on regular Fox as a lead-in, and it features Caleb Plant, who is going up against Mike Lee. Plant is 18-0. Mike Lee is 21-0. 13-month layoff for Mike Lee. This is the first defense of Caleb Plant's IBF Super Middleweight title. And let me tell you guys, I talked to Caleb Plant and his publicist, Mario Serrano, a bunch over the last week or so. And um, they're excited for this. He's ecstatic about this opportunity of fighting on Fox. They love this because this is on regular Fox, prime time Saturday night. This is a big freaking deal. This is monster exposure for Caleb Plant. And he's going up against a guy, say what you will about Mike Lee. He's definitely not on Plant's level. I like Plant, obviously, to win big here. But Mike Lee does have some name recognition for being in those Subway ads. Remember when he was on those Subway sandwich ads? And then he's also on LA Fitness ads. I've gone to, there's an LA Fitness here in Atlanta that me and Tiff work out at. Sometimes let's go in there and hit the bag and shit. And I swear on the little TVs, they've had Mike Lee talking in there about his boxing workout, how he trains. This dude has an amazing agent. When he went to school at Notre Dame, he met some people that ended up working in the entertainment industry. He stayed friends with them, and boy, have they hooked his ass up. But um, people might not know Mike Lee's name, but they know his face. And when Joe Sixpack, my favorite term, some dude in the middle of America in Oklahoma is just flipping through the channels. Oh, shit, Fox is on. Let's see what's on TV. Okay. And he turns it on, and he sees Caleb Plant, and he sees Mike Lee. He's going to be I've seen that guy before. Where have I seen that guy? And he sees Caleb Plant tap his ass. That's huge promotion for Caleb Plant. And it leads into the pay-per-view event. And what I love is a lot of times when you see this sort of thing, it's a split-site thing. This is live from the same venue, right? Caleb Plant is there in Vegas. I think it was at the MGM. I think it was at the MGM. I can't remember for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that's so cool because while you got the Caleb Plant thing happening on regular Fox, they're going to lead in right there from the arena into the Pacquiao thing. JM Superstar says the return of Joe Sixpack. Gail says, yes, it's at the MGM Grand. That's what I thought, Gail. Thank you. Yeah, I I think it's really smart by PBC to do this. Have Caleb Plant fighting right there in the venue that Pacquiao will be fighting at later on. Regular Fox leads into the Fox pay-per-view. Great job by PBC on this one. I think it's really, really intelligent. Anyway, I like Plant big in that. As far as the pay-per-view goes, the rest of this card, F.A. Ajagba, 10-0 heavyweight, going up against Ali Aaron Demirezin, 11-0 German Turk, who actually fought in 2016 games for Turkey in the Olympics, lost to Flip Hrugovic. Now, a lot of you guys on my video about Daniel Dubois telling you that he's my favorite heavyweight prospect, you mentioned those two names, Flip Hrugovic and F.A. Ajagba. No way, man. They're better than Daniel Dubois. A lot of you guys said that. I understand. They, maybe they are. May, we'll see. At this point, 
Dubois has fought better opposition and he's fought more consistently with better skill against that better opposition. So I still rate him my number one heavyweight prospect. Now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, maybe that will change. I want to see F.A. Ajagba fight somebody who can punch back. He hasn't yet. I know he beat Amir Mansour. Amir Mansour was 212 years old when they fought, okay? That doesn't count. I want to see him fight someone who can punch back. The same thing with Flip Hergovich. Anyway, I mentioned Flip because in the Olympics, he beat this guy that F.A. Ajagba is going to fight. Uh, This is scheduled for 10 rounds on this card. Also, Luis Neri, 21-0, going up against Juan Carlos Payano, 21-2, was stopped, brutally stopped by Nayoya Inoue in the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 semifinals. This is a 12-round bantamweight fight. Uh, I like this matchup. It's going to be entertaining. And Luis Neri's probably going to crush the shit out of Payano. Is he going to do what Inoue did? I don't think so. Inoue's better than Neri. I, I still think Inoue here, Neri here okay you guys listening on the podcast later you can picture what i'm doing with my hands levels right in a ways rated higher right now and he blasted piano out in what a round was it a round two rounds something like that i think nary it's going to take him a few rounds but obviously i like him to stop piano sergey lipinets coming off his leading fight of the year contender against lamont peterson earlier this year Crazy that, dude, that, that fight was this year. It already feels like it was like a year ago. Um, going up against John Molina, who he's entertaining, but this dude bleeds a lot and takes a lot of punches. And at some point, the good folks at PBC are going to have to have a talk with Mr. Molina about hanging him up. He's lost five of his last eight. He's always entertaining. Great guy, trains his ass off. And he, he always gives an honest effort. But if he takes another prolonged beating and loses in this fight, this is probably going the distance. This is a 10-round fight, welterweights, Lipinets Molina. You got to favor Lipinets, and he doesn't hit very hard, but he has that thudding, accumulative kind of power. And Molina is going to take some lumps in this fight. After this one, that will mean he, he will have lost six of his last nine. It's time to think about doing something else, dude. Also, Jordanis Ugas coming off that fight with Sean Porter earlier this year that a lot of people felt he won, going up against Omar Figueroa, who earlier this year beat, guess who? John Molina. It's like a, I don't know, what's that thing? Uh, Ferris wheel. Not, yeah, yeah. Merry-go-round. Yeah, yeah, it's like a merry-go-round. Uh, these guys are fighting 12 rounds. WBC welterweight eliminator. So, Winner of this fight, in line to fight, Sean Porter. And I don't mind that, this being an eliminator, because a lot of people feel Ugas beat Sean Porter. He was certainly very competitive with him. What is Omar Figueroa doing in the title eliminator? I don't know, because beating John Molina at this point shouldn't put you in a title eliminator. In the main event, Keith Thurman, Manny Pacquiao for Thurman's WBA welterweight title. Okay. Guys, again, you chop this up. I know that Thurman has been inactive. I know that Thurman um, didn't look good in his last fight. I know Thurman hasn't looked the same, even in, in impressive wins over Sean Porter and Danny Garcia. A lot of people feel that 
he got buzzed in a, what fight was it that he got buzzed? I think it was against Soto Carras maybe. And a lot of people feel that he's just fights more tentative now. I, I don't know about that. I, I thought that he showed some heart in, in his recent fights when he got clipped. He responded well, responded like a fighter. But the guy hasn't looked great. It's hard to look great when you fight so rarely and when you aren't always facing the best opposition. His last fight wasn't against the best opposition. Now, you go over and you look at Pacquiao. He's looked great recently, right? He had the tough fight with Jeff Horn, which I feel he won, but he didn't get the decision. But then he fought what? Matisse crushed him, right? Grabbed a, one of the WBA, was it the WBA? Yeah, I think it was a version of the WBA or something like that. I think Thurman's the super champ and Manny's the regular champ, some shit like that. I can't keep up with the BA. Looked great against Matisse. But is Matisse at this point, let me, let me ask you guys this. If Lucas Matisse were to fight Jose Cito Lopez right now, who would you pick to win? You know who I'd pick to win? Lopez. I think Lopez would beat Matisse right now. Okay? Uh, Matisse signed with Golden Boy. They got him a couple of really, really good matchups. Great matchmaking. And Matisse grabbed a piece of a title. Looked good doing it. But it was kind of smoke and mirrors, guys. You have to read through the lines, through the bullshit. You have to, you know, look at the gray area, the fine print, as they say. Pacquiao picks up that version of a title. And now people are looking at their last few performances, the last year or so, because boxing is the what have you done for me lately sport. And people are thinking, how the hell can I pick Thurman? Guys, again, Thurman's a naturally bigger man. He's over a decade younger. Uh, yes, he's been inconsistent. Yes, he's been inactive, but he's taken a lot less punishment. And he still bigger, stronger, naturally. I don't know if he's the more athletic guy, but close. And Pacquiao's taken a lot of punches. And look at who Pacquiao's fought over the last few years. Tell me the last time Pacquiao fought and beat a elite level, fully grown welterweight. When's the last time you fought a guy that's on Thurman's level? Now, some of you out there feel that Terrence Crawford's the best welterweight. Many of you feel Errol Spence is the best welterweight. I hear you. I think it's probably between the two of them as well. But currently, Thurman has the best resume of any welterweight with his wins over Garcia and Porter at least over the last three or four years. He does. Not by much. Not by much. But he does. He did unify titles. He got stripped for inactivity. But he did do that, right? So uh, do I rate him as the best welterweight? No. But... Out of respect, you could say he's up there. If you don't have number one, he's in the top three or so. He's up there. And he's up there for a reason. His body of work in the last few years, the guys he has fought and beat, were other top 10 welterweights. And if you look at the guys Manny has fought and Manny has beat in recent years, I'm not seeing a lot of top 10 welterweights, certainly not top five welterweights. And when Thurman beat Porter, and I thought he clearly beat Porter. A lot of people thought that was a controversial decision. I didn't. It was close and competitive, but Thurman beat him. Porter is a top five welterweight, probably. He's right on that bubble, right? Danny Garcia is a top 10 welterweight. 
And again, I thought Thurman clearly beat him. So I, those are the reasons, some of the reasons why I favor Thurman to win a decision against Manny Pacquiao in a fight that doesn't quite live up to the expectations. A lot of people are expecting fireworks and all this stuff. I hope I'm proven wrong. If I do the live fight party, and again, let me know if you guys want to see a live live commentary fight party from Casa de Montero this Saturday. I'll do it. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope this is action-packed. I hope it's great. I hope it's the best pay-per-view we've had this year because every pay-per-view we've had this year has been dog shit. I hope that this one lives up and exceeds the hype, but that's not what I see. In terms of styles, in terms of career trajectory, where they are at, the way I feel these fighters will fight this fight, Thurman, decision, 115-113, somewhere in that range, and that's going to be close enough for some of the Pacquiao nut jobs out there to say he was robbed and start making all these videos, selectively editing the punching and all that to make it look like Pacquiao got robbed. I think Thurman wins a close but clear decision. All right, guys, get your questions in. We'll do a quick Q&A before we bounce out of here. Been going for over an hour here on YouTube. Um, yeah, any more questions you guys have? Anything specific about the Thurman or Pacquiao-Thurman fight? Let me know, and uh, we'll get there. Let's see. Brad DW54 asks, Whitaker versus Duran at lightweight. Damn, bro, you're killing me with that one. Holy shit, that's a tough one. Whitaker's defense and skills, Duran's all-out crazy assault. <sighs> that, bro, that's a tough one. But let me, let me just say, when we saw Chavez fight Whitaker, right, that was technically a welterweight fight, but they were really 140s, fighting at 147. Chavez, all-out offense, right? And um, body, body work, upstairs, downstairs. And Whitaker was able to handle that. He was able to stay in the pocket, make a miss. Dude, I got to pick Whitaker to beat Duran. And I know a lot of people won't like that pick. But I think all things being equal, equal you know, uh, neutral territory, uh, Vada testing, you know, neutral officiating, referee, all, all that stuff, judging. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Whitaker by decision. Remember, man, Duran could be uh, frustrated. You could frustrate him and get in his mind. And I, I just, I, I'm going to pick Whitaker by close decision. Maybe he gets dropped in that fight and gets back up and that makes it close, something like that. But yeah, I'm going to take him close decision. That's a tough one, dude. That's a great question. Let's see, who else? Who else? Gail Falkenthal says, Thurman is not training at LA Fitness. But he said he rode a spin bike there as his conditioning for the Lopez fight. Well, there you go. <clears throat> I don't think he's doing that for Pacquiao. Something tells me he's training a little harder for this fight. And he's going to look a little sharper, a little quicker, a little more explosive in this fight and shock a lot of people. It's going to be very interesting <clears throat> and hilarious for me to see people on Twitter and YouTube go, Oh my God, Keith Thurman. He looked like the old Keith Thurman. Guys, come on, man. Like, he, you think he took Lopez as seriously as he's going to take Pacquiao? DS Kennels 210. Mike, do you listen to, what do I listen to while I'm working out? Music or podcast? I'm currently listening to Three Knockdown Rule and Montero Unboxing, but I'm looking for some more podcasts. So, 
What I started doing recently is instead of listening to music while I lift or box or whatever it is, I listen to podcasts or sometimes silence. I was told to do this by a Navy SEAL who does, um, who does those uh, Ironmans and all this. And the way he worded it to me was, if you need music to pump you up, if you need music to get you going for training, when you get in the ring and you spar, there's no music. When you're, do, when you're doing, if you're, if you're doing competitive lifting or something, there's no music. Train for what you're going to do in competition. Train the same way. So I cut the music out of my workouts. And guys, let me tell you something. It makes a difference at first. Try doing leg day in silence. Holy shit. It's so different. Cut the music out of your workout. Listen to a podcast or something. Uh, if you like news, if you like history, whatever subject you're trying to learn, if you're trying to learn a different language, listen to that shit while you lift. Listen to that shit while you do your road work. Because at that point, you're doing something physical. You'll take in that knowledge. You'll take in those words. It's almost like your, your, your conscious mind is turned off because you're, you're physically exerting yourself and it goes straight to the subconscious. So any of you guys out there who are trying to get better with a foreign language, who are trying to learn a subject, who are trying to study something for work, whatever it is, I'm telling you, listen to, to podcasts in that um, realm while you're working out, especially while you're lifting. And challenge yourself. See if you can do a five-mile run or if you could do a boxing workout or if you could do leg day or chest day or whatever it is in silence and see how it affects you. If you can't lift as much, if you can't push as hard with no music, dude, you got to toughen your ass up. I was amazed at the difference it made, seriously. So now, you know, I'm working out in silence or podcasts or whatever. When I do have music, dude, I, it's like it's like I'm on, I don't know, it's like I'm on clenbuterol. <laughs> you know, I'm flying. So try that, dude. That is my suggestion. As far as podcasts to listen to, bro, it just depends on the subject you like. So, so me, I'm a classical liberal politically. Um, I'm, I guess I'm a libertarian. I guess that's where I fall in the modern political spectrum. Um, <clears throat> I like Reason TV. I like history stuff. I do listen to Joe Rogan sometimes, but he gets a little too wacky with some of the drugs and shit. Some of his episodes are just flat out fucking boring to me when he gets certain people on there. But if he has a good guest, I'll listen to Joe Rogan. I do like Dave Rubin. I like Tim Pool. I think Tim Pool is the best political journalist, actual real journalist we have in America right now. The most honest journalist we have. So I listen to Tim Pool's stuff a lot. Uh, yeah, I... I, I Gail says Reason TV, damn, now that's a good poll. Yeah, Gail, I love Reason TV. And they have a podcast, so check it out. So, all right, let's see, what else? Prime TV asks Whitaker versus Floyd. Whitaker, Whitaker Big. Whitaker Big, I'm going to say it again. Yeah, Gail, I know that you're a libertarian. I guess that's what I am. I don't know what to call myself anymore. I'm socially liberal, fiscally maybe a little more conservative, I can't do the identity politics and the hierarchy of privilege and the progressive stack and all this shit that's coming from the left now. Those used to be far left radical concepts and now they become mainstream 
left concepts. So I can't roll with the left anymore because they've lost their mind with the identity politics shit. It's that, that they're, it's not progressive, it's regressive. They're training kids to value and judge themselves and each other based upon their demographics. It's insane. It's literally the antithesis of everything they fought for during the civil rights era. <laughs> it's insane. And I'm not a religious guy. I don't have any guns, so I don't roll with the right. So I don't know what the hell to call myself. I guess libertarian. Matthew Williams, who do you like for 2020 president? Um, we're probably going to get shitty corporate, corporatized uh Owned politicians, whoever the hell ends up running, I, I, you know, it's hard to say who's going to win the Democratic nomination. They're all fucking nuts. The one Democrat that I like is Andrew Yang and uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I like them. Uh, they're pretty cool and they have no chance to win. And there's no way they get the VP nomination either because they're not radical and wacky enough. They're common sense old school classical liberals. And that's pretty much how I view myself. Leave the personal social issues up to the individual. I don't give a shit how you feel about abortion or Jesus or guns. I don't give a shit. All I care about, balance the budget, keep me safe. Keep the economy rolling. Keep America safe. Keep the bridges from collapsing. Other than that, I don't give a shit. That's how people should run for office. D.S. Kendall says, I watch Tim Pool YouTube channel a lot. Yeah, Tim Pool is the most honest reporter we have in America right now. Seriously. He's the only journalist we have left, pretty much. There's a couple, but he's pretty much it. Let's see, what else? Captain Who Chronicle says, liberal conservative, that way you're good with everybody. Yeah, I mean, these terms, it's hard to... When I look at what's crazy is, and I, who knew we were going to take a political slant here today, but when you look at, Dave Rubin says it the best. Defending my liberal principles has become a conservative position in modern America. You guys got to remember, I lived in LA for the last 10 years and I dabble in the entertainment industry and boxing is part of the entertainment industry as well. And those people that run the business are live in a bubble. They are fucking whack jobs. They think they're moderates. They're not. And if you don't subscribe to their groupthink and their sheepish, almost cultish, it's almost like a secular religion, identity politics to these people. It's a secular religion. Uh, it, it dominates everything in their worldview. When they meet a person, they don't judge the person or value the person based upon their ideals, what they say, how they carry themselves. It's, okay, what race is this person? What gender? What sexual preference? What religion? And they do this equation and then they say, okay, now talk. And I'm going to judge what you said based upon all these things. Two different guys can say the same thing and they'll hear it two different ways. Now me, I guess I'm old school. I treat everyone and expect everyone to treat me the exact same way. Um, or to, I mean, to the same standard, right? And that has become a conservative position in America right now. That's insane, because that's not conservative, that's liberal. But in the modern society we live in, particularly the people that write and control the social narrative in the Western world, and that's academia, media, uh, 
so social media platforms, Hollywood, that's who really runs our society. It's not the banks and the corporations. It's the media. Those people are overwhelmingly, you know, in that cult. So, uh, yeah, anyway. I can rant about that. Sometimes I think about doing a channel on that stuff. I, I really do. But, oh, my, my career in entertainment would be over <laughs> overnight. Uh, Prime TV says, right wing here is considered super liberal in the Middle East. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, levels. CN says thoughts on immigration. What about immigration? I think immigration's good. I think, um, you know, America is a nation of immigrants. Um, we need to do a much better job of um, helping people get become naturalized citizens. Helping the, the path to citizenship right now is fucked. Living in LA, you would see kids from China whose parents were millionaires donate 200 grand to a highway or something in Orange County and become citizens overnight because they're rich. Poor people come here and they have to wait in this huge line. That's not right. We need to overhaul some things. Now, we need to do a better job vetting and not everyone who comes across the border can just immediately become American. Like, there needs to be a process. I'm just saying we need to make the process better and more consistent. Gail Falkenthal, tech runs society today and they are Bay Area libs. Yeah, I wouldn't even call them liberal, Gail. Like, who really runs this country? Honestly. New York and their little cousin DC. And then over on the West Coast, it's LA and their little cousin San Francisco. Bay Area. That's who runs this country. So you really have two different... You get the America that's presented to you on television. The way commercials are cast, the way shows are written, the way news is edited, the way um, academia paints things, the algorithms and the social media tech platforms, all that's painted in one way, right? That's what you get. And then there's real life. So there's this dissonance between real citizens and the elite running the country. And I never really bought into any of that shit. Or Living in LA for a decade, I saw it. I was at ground zero of it. L.A. runs the media now. It's not New York, of course, is a huge presence. It's New York. But the entertainment industry and all that is in L.A. And right up the coast is all the tech platforms in the Bay Area. So it's really California that disproportionately influences, rights and controls the social narrative in America, if not the entire Western world. And a lot of those folks are in a religion. It's a secular religion. It's the religion of identity politics. And stacking people up against each other based upon their demographics. It's so bizarre because it's regressive. It's not progressive. It's crazy. It's, ta it's, it's really hurting our society. Um, Gail says we need more Mexicans in the USA to keep boxing alive. Yes! And Hondurans! Teofimo Lopez is from Honduras. And who else we got this week from Latin America? Man, we had a guy from Venezuela kick a Mexican's ass last week. We need more Venezuelans. We need more Japanese dudes. These Japanese dudes are tough. I, the coolest thing about America, if you look, compare America to Europe, right? America is like 10 different countries, basically. And we all call ourselves America. But you can travel around this entire country and it really changes. You, you literally can be in 10 different countries if you go through all the states, all the regions of, of America. 
And the demographics change depending on where you go. And you learn the history of how it became that way, that region, and the different immigrants who came there, the different waves of immigration and stuff. That's cool, man. That's real cool. You guys got to think, you know, I grew up in Detroit, more Italians, Eastern Europeans, folks up there, that type of immigration. Went out to LA, a lot of Mexican, Asian immigration, right? And now I'm here in Atlanta. There's actually a lot of like West Indians. This is like Black Mecca, right? So, you know, it's a totally different world here. Uh, it's like the cosmopolitan melting pot center of the South. So it's an interesting, different culture here. That's what's cool about America, man. And immigrants enrich that. Look, at, we have the best damn food in the world. Why? Because we have food from everywhere. So, all right, maybe I'll do a couple more questions here. Oh, my chat just dropped. Oh, there it is. Okay. Let's see. Uh, all right, guys, one more question and we're going to cut it off here. We're going almost at an hour and a half. I knew this was going to be a long episode. And I promise you guys in August, we are going to start splitting it into two shows a week so that the shows are a little shorter. Because I know it's hard for you, some of you guys to listen or watch for an hour, an hour and a half. We're going to cut the shows down. It'll be like 30 minutes or so twice a week. But anyway, let's see. Let's get to one more here. Um, Prime TV asked me, would I recommend Atlanta over Detroit? I'm talking about suburbs, not ghettos. <laughs> well, uh, honestly, dude, get back at me in another year or two. I'm still learning Atlanta. I will say this, you know, I, I'm always going to be partial to Detroit because that's where I'm from, right? Boom. But in, as far as where there's more energy, where there's more uh, jobs, more growth opportunity, better schools, all that stuff, that's here in Atlanta as opposed to Detroit. It, it, it is, you know. So, so right now, if, if, if your goal is to move to a place where there's better jobs and and things like that, better opportunity. If you have children and you want your children to have better opportunity, um, Atlanta's probably the better pick. As far as, uh, yeah, Prime TV says he's in Detroit and can't stand the weather. Yeah, dude, I, I grew up in that shit. I, I know what you mean. I will say this, fall, winter, and spring here was awesome. Like seriously amazing. The summer sucks. It sucks a fat, fully engorged dick. Seriously, the summer here sucks. I hate my life. So that's one thing. I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to the summers here. They're brutal, dude. But the other three seasons are really, really amazing. Really amazing. And Gail's talking about San Diego. Yeah, San Diego is an amazing city. It's it's. Somehow it's by the ocean. Somehow it's in California. Yet it's somehow family friendly and not too insane. I don't know how all that works. You wouldn't think it's in California when you go there. You really wouldn't. But since it is in California, you have to deal with California politicians, taxes, prices, etc. If you could take San Diego and move it to another state, Tiff and I would probably live there right now. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. All right, guys. I'm losing my voice. I need some, uh, some hot tea or something. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, man. 179 is in the books. Remember, 
Let me know if you guys want to see a Pacquiao Thurman fight party. Comment on this video. Let me know or tweet me, whatever. And um, remember to like this video. Spread the word about the damn podcast and about the show and about the channel. All right? And I think I'm going to see you guys Saturday night because I have a feeling you're going to want to see that live fight commentary. So I'll see you Saturday night. Peace.